Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Greg Dumas, continues our series, Can We Talk About This?, with a message titled, Can People Really Change? We hope you enjoy this weekend's message. Can we welcome our campuses? Give them a big hand. What's up, you guys? South Shore Plant City. What's happening? We're in a series. So uh, the series is called, Can We Talk About This? And today, we're going to talk about change a little bit. And... Uh, You know, change can be difficult, but God has change in mind for every single one of us. Um, J. Warner Wallace is the first guy that I want to reference. He was uh, a forensic investigator for the LAPD, and and so he worked in homicide and forensics. And he said when he came to faith in Jesus, he wasn't that excited about coming to the Lord. He, He said he purely wanted to investigate the claims of Christianity. He said he didn't grow up in a Christian family because that's the number one, when people are asked, why are you a Christian? The number one answer is, I grew up in a Christian family. He said, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. He said, uh, the number two answer for why are you a Christian is, uh, I had an experience with God. And he said, I didn't have an experience with God. I didn't need God at the time. I felt like I had everything in my life. He was fully accomplished. He was a very uh, accomplished man in the LAPD. He was very uh, renowned for being an investigator. Um, and, and in forensics and all of those things. And then he said, he said, but I wanted to hear about the wisdom of a man named Jesus. I wanted to understand the wisdom of this sage, the teacher who is Jesus. And so I started reading the Bible. How many of you know when you mess around and read the Bible, God's going to get you? And, and as he read the word, the word of God transformed his life. It transformed his life. And today, he's the founder of Cold Case Christianity. And if you go and look for Cold Case Christianity, what he does is he takes the analysis from his forensics life, came to know the Lord when he was 35, his forensics life, and he applies it to the Gospels and in a way that's very unique and, and, and very articulate, very wise, very structured. He breaks down why the witnesses for Jesus were who they are and verifiable and he proves to the world in a, in, a, in a very compelling way that the resurrection was true and that the witnesses were true using what God prepared for 35 years in his life with forensics, okay? And so I wanna, I wanna pray and I wanna ask God as we talk today about this message about change that whatever, wherever you've come from and, and whatever you come to the table with, the, the, why, why are you here and whatever the reason is, whatever that reason is, that God would mine that out today, that he would, that he would work in your life, that he would, he would change my life and he would change your life. He changed my mind. Come on, church. He would change my mind and he would change your mind. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that today, as we surrender our lives to you, as we place ourselves before the scripture, that you change us from the inside out. And we believe, would you say this with me just in your spirit? I believe, just say it to God. I believe that I can change. And, and, and just before, before we get this last sentence, just say to him, and I believe others can change. Amen, 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 amen. Helping someone change their mind is a challenge. It's, it's rare that we are the ones who change the mind. Usually we're the ones who sow the seed and somebody then changes their mind on their own. But we can live a life that's worthy of our calling in Christ and we can show people what the truth is. We can demonstrate the truth with our lives and we can do it with our words. The key is our willingness to be an agent of change ourselves. It's a little harder than 
changing your shirt, though. So Randy was unsure about his choice of clothes for church. Can I get an amen? amen? Randy was unsure, just like lots of us. So he sought some counsel from his wife, and he asked, do you think I should change? That's a pretty open-ended question, church. So she took advantage of the opportunity and replied, it depends. Are you talking about changing your shirt or changing some other things? Come on, somebody. Some other things. Because, you know, change is difficult. It's a challenge. We need to keep in mind that culture is quickly changing, quickly changing the way that we think through media and technology. Through the feeds, we're continually being curated. How many of you heard the word curated? Curated means that they're showing us what we're asking for. They are showing us what we want while getting to their own means, which uh, the means is always to monetize what we're doing. That's why in your car, you could say, I would like to have a bounce house for my child's birthday, and you don't touch your phone. If you don't believe me, some of you, some of you are still in the place where you're like, oh, Apple's not listening. Oh, Google's not listening. Let me tell you, they're listening. They're listening. And they're listening to your words. Your phone is listening to your words to curate to you what you're asking for so that they can monetize what we want. And when they're doing that, they're changing the actual nature and the value, the currency of what we value in the United States. They're really, they're really defining what's good and what's right for all of us right in front of us. And so I don't wanna to spend too much time on that today. I just want us to recognize that there's another change that's necessary, and that's just my heart change and your heart change so that we can follow Jesus. Big tech and media, the conglomerates are reshaping but God wants to reshape, amen? God wants to reshape. You know, it's through simple technology that we, you know, the technology isn't simple, it's very complicated, it's simple for us, we say something, it arrives. It's amazing how uh, that technology is beamed up, you know, into the airwaves and then comes back to us almost instantaneously, but they're just applying human psychology to us. And so, a shoe owner, had this experiment, he said, uh, he was very enterprising, a store owner in New York, and he said he decided to have two pair of identical shoes set out in the window side by side. Above the sign, it read, there's absolutely no difference between these two shoes, or these two pair of shoes. One pair is priced at $6.95, the other at $12.95. We just wanna see which price you prefer. Three of every four women suspected trickery and insisted on buying the shoes for $12.95. Because we act, turn to somebody and just say, we act like we do. Pretty simple. We're human beings, and when you know the pattern that human beings function in, when you know we're susceptible to this wind of doctrine and this teaching and this teaching and this wind and this wind, it's pretty easy if you're big tech and your media to just prey on what we think we need or what we think we want. But God is saying to us today, he's saying, I want you to respond to me. And the first thing to be able to respond to God is humility, humility. And the only way we can do that is to see scripture and then to see God confront us in the scripture and then to respond with the grace that God gives us to respond. The story of Nathan, the prophet, confronting David reveals how we can respond in humility. The story is a pretty graphic story. King David um, was where he shouldn't be. 
And the scripture says that it was time for kings to go to war, but King David was on his roof. And so if you're taking notes, it's kind of, kind of that admonition that if you're messing around, if you're a Christian and you're messing around doing things that you ought not to do, it's a precarious place to be and you get yourself in trouble. So he saw a woman bathing. He was on the top of his roof. He saw a woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba and she was beautiful. And so he called for her and then most of you know the rest of the story. He had indiscretion with her. He was the king. She was married. Her husband was off at war. Now watch this. The prophet, Nathan, is with David, and he confronts. Listen, church, is it time in America for us to confront authority? Okay. You have to do it graciously, and it's time for authority to respond in humility. To respond in humility. No, no, watch this. This is for all of us, individually, personally, corporately, the whole thing. Then Nathan said to David, verse 7, 2 Samuel 12, 7, you are the man. And this is not, you know, you are the man that we think of today. This is definitely derogatory. You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your arms. Everything went to the king. That was David, and he was conquering. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. The two portions of the nation had been divided. The larger portion was Israel. The smaller portion was Judah. It all went to David. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. How many of you know, how many of you know that, uh, let me, can I just use some slang? God don't play. God takes seriously when, you know, we have infractions and stains in our life like this. God takes it seriously. And I, I, I want to finish like this, 11. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. Wow. 12, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. David had a child with Bathsheba, and the boy died. He perished. David fasted. He prayed. But how many of you know, how many of you, how many of you understand today forgiveness is always what God gives to us? Come on. Everybody. I want you to know this, but, but listen to me, but consequences for sin often remain until the last portion of it is paid. Consequence for sin. Forgiveness is how God responds to us. David is in the lineage of Jesus. David was a man loved, beloved by God, but David chose to dishonor God. And in humility, now watch this, here's the, here's the driving point. In humility, the king, David, said this. He said, verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I, come on, everybody, can you say this with me? I have sinned. Can you see it? Is it up there? Are you is with me? Okay, say it with me. Here we go. I have sinned against the Lord. Okay, now it's not the language that we use today, but I'm imploring you, if you're gonna change your mind, if you're gonna be a change agent, if you're gonna help people, if you're gonna be who God created you to be, this kind of humility with the stark reality of even what you did and saying, I, years ago, it was probably 10 years ago, I, I um, you know, my attitude was wrong and I hurt some people and I remember going to them, one of them was a pastor and I said, I said these words, the Lord said, I want you to say these words, I don't want you to say something different, say, I sinned against you, I sinned against you and I am sorry, please forgive me. 
And, and the pastor was taken back by that and he, he said, I, I've, I've just not heard that kind of language. And I said, well, that's just what the Lord said for me to say to you. And, and so I think it's surprising sometimes in our culture today when we finally, everybody say own up. When we own up and just say, that was me. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was me. And, and God, I'm really, I'm sorry. I know that I've, I've broken a relationship like this and I've broken a relationship like this. Romans 12, two says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, his perfect will for you. First Peter 5, six is just a note, you won't see it on the screen, it says to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in the proper time. Listen, church, God wants us to remember he's in the business of painting over all of our stains. Amen? God wants us, God doesn't want us to look at our stains and say, nope, that wasn't me. God wants us to admit this was wrong, this was broken. I, I, God Almighty, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against you, vertically, horizontally. But then we have to remember, we have to remember that God paints over our broken pieces Sir Edwin Lanseer, one of the most famous painters in the Victorian era, he had a great talent. It developed early. His first showing, his work, was at the Royal Academy. He was just 13 years old. He was commissioned to do a number of official portraits of the royal family and even gave private drawing lessons to Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. But he was best known for his depictions of natural settings in the life of the Scottish Highlands. One day, he was visiting a family in an old mansion in Scotland, and one of the servants spilled a pitcher of soda water, leaving a large stain on the wall. While the family was out for the day, Lancier remained behind. Using charcoal, he incorporated the stain into a beautiful drawing, and when the family returned, they found a picture of a waterfall surrounded by trees and animals, and he used his skill to make something beautiful out of what had been an unsightly mistake, a stain. Here's the picture of the waterfall. And I just want you to know, and I just want you to know that God uses the stains in your life, and when we admit them, we say, there's the stain. God says, all right, I'm getting my charcoal out. And I'm gonna repaint around that stain. Amen, church? On a second account, they were in a bar, and a man spilled tea on the wall. And he stood up, and he said, I, I think I can fix this. And he went out and got some of his paints, and he took the tea stain and turned it into a stag. And here's the picture of the stag. And so when God looks at the wall of our life, he sees every stain, every blemish, every ding, every dent, but rather than tearing it down. Listen, here's what we're not great at in the church. We see each other's problems, our difficulties, our stains, and when someone even has the courage to say, yes, that was me, then we hold that against them. And here's what I want you to say. Here's what I want you to know. Listen, God doesn't hold that against you. He doesn't. When we're courageous enough to say, that was me, here's my stuff, God takes out his things and repaints that thing into a beautiful image of who he is. The process begins when we recognize that you're unconditionally loved. You're ridiculously loved by God, overwhelmingly loved by God, dings, dents, and all. We stand in the love of God, and we call that grace in the church, and Less and less, listen, listen, watch this. I want you to take note of this. Less and less we're defined by our past mistakes and our traumas and our insecurities. Do you know that everyone has mistakes and everybody has traumas and everybody has insecurities? Do you know that? Everybody does. But the more you stand in love, everybody say love. 
the less defined you are by those things and the more defined you are by who you're becoming in the image of God. The image of God, the repainting around your broken parts. And the more you're known from brother and sister of who you are in Christ and the more than you can love one another. And if we're able, church, to walk in humility, then God can take the things in our lives that aren't so great and make them great in his name. They make them great in his name. Number two, we wanna seek the spirit. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit before spreading the gospel to Asia Minor and writing the New Testament. We need the power of the Holy Spirit if we're ever gonna change a mind, namely ours and then others. The Apostle Paul was one of the most miraculous transformations in all of history. It's an understatement to say that he changed his mind. He was actually a person who witnessed the murder of Christians, many, many Christians, and then came to be the writer of the bulk of the New Testament. After his Damascus Road experience, and I'm tempted to go into the experience, I want you to just hear and see how God empowers him, how God changed this man. How many of you, how many of you know, there, there was, uh, well, I won't name him. How many of you know that the people who you think are the worst could end up being the best? Come on, somebody. Some of you are still like, "Mm mm-mm, they're the worst. (laughs) Acts 9, 15 through 22, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. He was on the road to Damascus. God showed up in a light, said, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He responded. He heard Jesus speaking to him. He responded, and after taking some food, he was thrown from his horse. After taking some food, he regained his strength, and Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. God sent him to a street called Straight. I think that's hilarious. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the son of God. This is the same man who weeks before was torturing Christians to the death. Same man. But all who heard him were astounded and said, isn't this man who was in Jerusalem, he was destroying those who were called on the name and then came here for the purpose of taking them to prison, as prisoners to the chief priests, those are the Jews. But Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one is the Messiah. How many of you believe Jesus is the Messiah? But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument take, to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and to the Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias left and entered the house. Then he placed his hands on him. Don't miss this, church. Now watch this. Humility is first. Seeking the Spirit second. If you want to change and if you want to see other people change, we need humility. Then we need the power of God. We have to have the power of God. Then he placed his hands on him. Can you imagine placing your hands on a murderer and pronouncing God's grace over them? Placed his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road where you were traveling has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. What a pronouncement. What a pronouncement over somebody who was the last person on planet Earth that you would believe that God would choose to use. The Lord has shown up to you And right now, the Lord is pouring his Holy Spirit into you. You're gonna be a holy vessel. Come on, church, is that stretching your mind a little bit? At once, something like scales 
fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. This is Saul. Then he got up and he was baptized. Come on, can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Have you ever seen anything like this? I just, I, 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 wanna, I wanna give you the, the pronouncement. I just wanna pronounce over you the courage to believe any person can change. Any person under any circumstance. And I also wanna pronounce over you the fact that you can say, when God says to you, I'm sending my spirit to this person, you can say it in confidence. Well, God renews you and empowers you. Don't be disappointed if those around you don't understand. People from your past may doubt that you have changed. That's okay. Remember, time is the only thing that really proves character. And in time, the Holy Spirit will show himself through you to everyone you're seeking to impact. Jill Morgan, the daughter of, <clears throat> the daughter, the daughter-in-law, I apologize, the daughter-in-law of G. Campbell Morgan wrote in her book, A Man of the Word, in 1888, my father-in-law was rejected for the ministry. How many of you, how many of you understand when you live for Jesus, there are gonna be some people around you that don't understand? It, it starts with your family. There's, there's a quiet rumble at Tampa. <laughs> he wired to his father the one word, rejected. Remember, this is back when communication was wired, the telegraph. Can you imagine that, church? That's 133 years ago. My aunt, who just passed away, she was 94. She missed this era by 40 years. Can you imagine this, church? Today, you take your phone out and you say, bounce house, and it goes to space and back in a second. Amazing. He wired to his father one word, rejected, and sat down to write in his diary. And this isn't the way we talk, but this is what it said. Very dark everything seems. Still, he knoweth best. He's talking about God, knowing the best. Quickly, he received the reply, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven, dad. While my father could not compel me to become a Christian, I had no choice because of what he did for me and what I saw in him. That's Morgan speaking of his father. Morgan, born on a farm in England in 1863, he was brought up in a strict puritanical home where he amused himself by preaching to his sister's dolls. What's up? <laughs> Although his first sermon before a responsive audience was delivered in a Wesleyan schoolroom at the age of 13, he was engulfed in doubt and in confusion concerning his faith when he prepared to go into seminary. And I believe that today, while I'm teaching, some of you might be engulfed in confusion. Maybe your faith is being tested. Maybe you're, you're going through trials and you're saying to God, God, is this really you? And God, are you really taking me this place? And, and, and I believe, here's a word for everyone who's here. I believe what God is doing is confirming his identity in us. And that is a, that is a fight like no other fight because God wants you to know who you are in him. Amen? He wants you to know who you are in him. Remembering those two chaotic years, Dr. Morgan later wrote, the only hope for me was the Bible, was the Bible. I stopped reading books about the Bible and I started reading the Bible itself. I stopped reading books about the Bible and I started reading the Bible. Your consumption of the word of God is the place where you're gonna find the Holy Spirit and is the place where you're gonna find out your identity and is the place where God's gonna to confirm to you and is the place where you're gonna hear and is the place where you can be confirmed and is the place where you're gonna see you're wrong and turn to God 
It is the place. The word of God is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It separates the bone from the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart, which are laid bare before God the judge. Amen? It's the word. It's the word. It's the word. It's the word. It's the word that transforms. First, humility. Then seeking his spirit. Seeking who he is. A year after this dark season, the young man was refreshed and inspired by the word and became the leading preacher. Watch this. The leading preacher in all of England. He traveled the word preaching the gospel and then returned to England in 1935, become the pastor of Westminster Congregational Church in London, which is maybe the most, which was maybe the most influential church in the entire world. The entire world. And he went through a season just a year before where he was doubting his faith. And I just want to say to you, Jesus is Lord and he is alive, and you're going to get through this season. You're going to get through this season. If you have humility and you seek the Spirit of God, he'll get you to the next place where you can say to him, Lord, I'll go. Lord, I will go for you. Lord, I will speak for you. Lord, I will teach. Lord, I'll walk into the school. Lord, I'll talk to my cousin. Lord, I will be brave and courageous. Although I'm terrified, I will walk into my fear and I will have faith in you. I will trust you. And the only way we're gonna change a mind, our own and others, is if we have courage to say to the Lord, I'll go for you. Jonah was maybe the most reluctant person you could ever read about in all of history. When God called Jonah, he literally ran. Like, he took off. So he'd be like, oh yeah, I know. Jonah 1, 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness has come up before me. You know, can I, can I just say, as I'm teaching, I just believe that God's gonna send some of you to the schools. We need to go to the school. We need to, we need, moms and dads, mamas need to turn into mama bears. And dad needs to turn into protectors. Our schools need us to tell them what direction we need to go so that Media and technology and other places that have other influences don't define for our children what reality is. Amen? We, we really need to be brave. We need to be humble. We need to have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And, and then we need to say to the Lord, Lord, I'll go. But Jonah ran from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down. As I'm speaking right now, I believe God is, is calling some of you. He's tapping some of you. He's touching some of you. He's speaking to some of you. And, and just like me, just like me, and I promise you, I mean, I'm identical with you, who would say, God, I, I mean, you want me to do that? And God said, yeah. Yeah, I do. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship and uh, bound for a port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish, to flee, to run from the Lord. And I know that many of you have this image in mind. It was supposed to be timed. <laughs> there it is, do you see it? And once Jonah obeyed the Lord, an entire city came to know God, 120,000 people. And when God saw they changed their minds, he had mercy. Here, here's the biblical account. Watch this, Jonah 3, 3 through 10. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. I, just, I believe that's prophetic for some of you today. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. Tampa, St. Pete, it's, it's pretty big. Almost four million people now. 
It took three days to go through it, and Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. It's part of what you did when you fasted six. When Jonah's, sorry, my glasses are failing me, or maybe it's my eyes behind my glasses. Six, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is an amazing verse, because normally people who are empowered do not respond to God this way. Amazing verse. So I wanna say this, we're running from God, and the people that need God are waiting on God. Man, that makes me just. Seven, this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animal herds or flocks taste anything. So they declared a fast for every animal and every person. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and the animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. What I, I believe that one day, and you, you guys listen, we really, we really wanna go on Sunday June 5th to two gather. I didn't know I was gonna say this, this is coming out. We're not gonna have Sunday services on Pentecost Sunday. We're gonna gather together. Everybody come to church on Saturday night and then on Sunday we're not gonna have live services. We're gonna go because I, here's what I believe. I believe when the churches get together and men and women of God get together and they agree, we're not gonna fight. We're not gonna fuss. We're not gonna have territories. We're gonna worship Jesus. We're gonna worship Jesus. And, and when the church comes together, we're gonna get over our differences, all the stuff. We're not gonna be territorial. When we get over our differences and when we say Jesus is Lord, I, I really believe that God wants us to say we're individual. We have individual theologies and ideologies and all those things, but on the day of Pentecost, the church of Jesus is gonna be together in Tampa. The church of Jesus is going to be together and God really wants to do something here. And would it be amazing if we go to Steinbrenner Field this year, it's, you're gonna wanna join us there. You need to register, okay? I know that's a little bit of a ding, but you need to register to go, and, and, then, and if you don't register, just show up, all right? Bring some potluck, God bless you, all right? God's good. <clears throat> I believe that we're gonna be in Steinbrenner, and then the next year, and the next year, and the next year, we're gonna fill Steinbrenner, and then I believe we're gonna go from Steinbrenner to the Buck Stadium. I've actually had, it was 10 years ago, I actually had a, Technicolor dream. I had it three nights in a row, and we were, we were in the Bucks stadium, and, and we were entering the stadium. You, you remember when the Bucks won the Super Bowl, you guys? You remember? Okay, now you guys are excited. Wake up was, whoo. And how, when you parked your car, there's an electricity and an expectation outside of the stadium. I, in the dream, people from the city of Tampa and St. Pete were packing the stadium to call on the name of Jesus. And when you park your car, there's an expectation, a, a palatable understanding that Jesus was Lord. And then when we got into the stadium, you know, I don't know what it holds, 50,000 or whatever it is, the place was packed to the gills, and the leaders of the city of Tampa were on the stage, and just like this, they were kneeling down one by one and saying, Jesus Christ is Lord of the city of Tampa. That was over. That was over 10 years ago, but I believe in what God shows us. And I believe when the church comes together, God 
can do anything. When the church comes together, when people who believe come together, God can do anything. Jonah preached, the people repented. Give up your evil ways and your violence. Verse nine, who knows? God may relent and have compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. Everybody say relent. He relented, he pulled back and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And so I know we usually see the cute little picture of Jonah. Here's a different perspective. And I don't want it to be ominous to you. I just want you to see a couple of things here when we look at Jonah. Does that slide up? When you disobey God, you're going for a swim. He'll encompass you. He'll hem you in. He will send a giant, whatever the giant is, whatever it looks like, to swallow you whole to let you know you're going the wrong way because he loves you. Secondly, when God is after you, there's nowhere to run to and there's nowhere to hide. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that you could go to the highest height and you can go to the lowest depth and you will find God there. God will be at the highest place. God will be at the lowest place. And he's looking for our confession in Christ just to say to him, Lord Jesus, I relent. I give up. I'm, I'm not gonna run from you. How many of you know that it's just futile to run from God? Just, just wherever you run, there he is. There he is. Next, God can hear your prayers from anywhere, even in the belly of a whale. So if you need God today, wherever you are, if you're in the depths, remember Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. We think that's a whale. And I really believe that he was swallowed, and I really believe that he was swallowed by a great fish, a whale. He was swallowed. And if you feel like you're in the depths, in the dregs, in the belly where it's dark, the admonition is to just call out to God, just to say, God, God, please help me. God, I want to turn around. God, I want to change my mind. God, I want to be an agent of change. And when you do, no matter where you are, God can hear your prayers from anywhere at any time. And then I want, I want you to hear this. God wants to use you even if you don't want to be used. Sometimes we assume it's just the huge feats of faith that make a difference or the work is left to heroes or heroines and the most amazing, the most equipped, the people with the degrees, the people with the pedigree, but that's not what God's looking for. I wanna, I wanna tell you what God's looking for. He's looking for people who humble themselves and seek the spirit and are willing to say, I'll go, I'll go. He's looking for anyone at any time. Come on, say it with me, anyone. Say anytime from anywhere who will be faithful. That's what he's looking for. I believe you can change the world. I, I believe that change is possible. I believe that some of you will change the school system. I believe that some of you are gonna regain your marriages. I believe that some of you are gonna encourage men. Some of you believe that because of the things that have happened to you in your life, you could never encourage men. I wanna tell you, it is because of the things that's happened in your life that you'll encourage men. Some of you believe you've been disqualified. I want you to know that God doesn't call people because they're qualified. God qualifies the called. God qualifies the people that he call. He calls you, even in your brokenness and even in the things that you've said, I can't do that and I won't do that. I don't even wanna do that. And sometimes God says, you don't have a choice. I'll send a fish. 
faithful to ask for courage and faithful to pray for another person and faithful to talk to your neighbor. It's the small things. Faithful to encourage somebody to come to church with you. I'll end like this. An ambulance was rushing a woman in labor. Our daughter's in labor. Not now, not now, not now. Not now. She's pregnant, that's what I meant. She'll be in labor in August. She's preggy, girl. An ambulance was rushing a woman in labor to the hospital when it slipped off the icy Michigan road. A four-wheeler truck attempted to pull the ambulance out of the ditch and couldn't get any traction on the ice. And then an Amish man driving two horses saw the predicament and quietly hitched his team up to the ambulance and successfully pulled it out of the ditch. God's not looking for fancy. He's looking for faithful. God's not looking for the heroic, the biggest, the shiniest, the best, the strongest. God's looking for faithful. God's looking for you to be faithful. God's looking for me to be faithful. And we say yes to God. Would you join me in praying? Would you join me today? Would every, every voice here and across our campuses, would you say, Lord Jesus, today I give you my life. We hope you enjoyed that message from Pastor Greg Dumas. Don't forget, you can watch all of our messages on demand and our live broadcasts when you subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find us at youtube.com slash crossingchurch. We hope to worship with you in person this weekend at one of our three locations. For all times and locations, visit wearecrossing.com.